The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. We are continuing our theme this year, which is higher, deeper, and wider. God wants us to go higher in our relationship with Him. And when we go higher in our relationship with Him, we actually have a deeper foundation in the things of God, deeper foundation of revelation, which enables us to go wider. Now, I'm not talking about wider and putting on weight, incidentally, for those of you that just don't want to do that this year. We, we're going to go wider in our outreach and our, our touching people and, and making an impact in our world. And, uh, and we've got to get it in that order. Go higher, then you go deeper, and then you go wider. And, and so this morning, I, I'm going to share something that's going to rock your socks off. Are you ready to have your socks rocked off you? I'm, I'm going to share something with you that, uh, if you can get it, will take you to another level in God. If you can get it. And, and when I'm saying getting it, I'm not just talking about the information that I'm going to share with you. Getting it is it penetrating deep in your heart where you have revelation. But, but before I start, let, let me just give you an illustration. So how many of you like a clean house? How many of you like a clean car? How many of you like a clean yard? How many of you want all three? How many of you know that when your house is clean or when your car is clean or when your, car, your, your yard is tidy, if you do nothing, within a few weeks' time, what happens? If you just do nothing, it just gets dirty again. It's like, what happened? Uh, wouldn't it be great if we were able to reverse that, you know? And it's, so it's like it's, it's untidy and then give it a bit of time and it just automatically gets tidy. That's not the way that things work in the world. You know, and, and so let alone, if you do nothing, it goes from clean to dirty. But what if you just go crazy and just, you know, drive through mud bog holes or whatever? It just doesn't take long for everything to go from a great state of being to a negative state of being. And the same thing with our lives. Our lives are exactly the same. Just because we got something sorted out one day... It doesn't mean that it stays that way because we're working against the tide that pushes back at us. And so in order for us to go forward, we've got to push forward. And if we do nothing, nothing changes. You've got to do something. You know, our salvation is the free gift of God. And that's the beautiful thing. And, but we just can't rest at that point where we're expecting God to do everything for us. And here's the big question. Are we here for God to do stuff for us? Or are we here to do stuff for God? So, so what's, the, what's the answer to that question? Because so many people, their perspective of God is, is God is here to do stuff for us. I flick my fingers and God just jumps. And then other people, their whole attitude is, well, we're here to do stuff from God. See, I, I believe it's a two-way street. You know, God does stuff for us and we do stuff for God. And there's, this, and there's this connection of the two. And it's very easy to overbalance one way or the other. 
And one of the things about our church is that we try to keep that balance, that, that, that whole in-between tension, keeping the tensions right. And so I, I really believe this, that God wants you to have the best family. How many of you believe that? God wants you to have the best marriage for those of you that are married. You know, how many of you know that there's a good family and then there's the best? There's a good marriage and then there's the best. There's a good life and then there's the best life. And can I just say to you that God's will and God's passion is that you might have not just a good life, but the best life. But then there's an enemy. How many of you know that there's an enemy? There's an enemy that works. Now, you know, some people, they just don't get this. They don't get that there's an enemy. They don't get the fact that there's a force working against us. The powers of darkness are real. That, look, guys, I'm, I do not make any apologies about believing in a spiritual realm. How can you believe in God and not believe in a spiritual realm. If you believe in God, then of course there's the negative forces, there's the powers of darkness, there's the Satan, devils, demons, all that whole array of forces. And the Bible is so clear about it that they're at work to stop us living our best life. And that's what this verse says in John 10.10. This is Jesus speaking. And this is what he says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. And so there's a, there's a force at work to try to destroy things in your life, to try to bring them down. There's, there's a, this is Jesus speaking. He's giving you insight in the spiritual realm, in the supernatural realm, and saying there's a force out, and the desire of this force, this thief, the enemy, is to steal, to kill, and destroy. But then... The good news comes, but I have come, Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life. And this word life is a Greek word, it's zoe. And, and this word is more than just breathing. It's more than just being alive. This is having the God life. This is, this is where God provides, where, where God takes you somewhere, where God is at work in your life, where, where you know that God is real and he provides for you and he looks after you. The God life is, is the real life. And, and, and that God life is only given to people through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You know what? If that was the end of the story that would be awesome. I'd be happy with that. I've come that you might have life. But how many of you know that's not the end of the verse? So what's the end of the verse? It says, not only that you might have life, Zoe, but that you might have it more abundantly. And then Jesus uses another word, and this word is perisos. And it's a Greek word that means, here it is, exceedingly abundantly. And so I think the best, the, the best verse in the Bible that gives us an insight to perisos is Ephesians 3.20. 
that says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. That's pirosos. That's, that's, that's this word where God is looking at not just giving you life, but abundant life. Not just giving you a good life, but the best life. This is God wanting to take you to another level. Everybody say, another level. Another level. <laughs> no, no, another, another, not another, another, another level. And uh, taking you to another level. And, 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 so, and so the Bible has this incredible illustration of this verse. You say, what's the illustration? It's the children of Israel. An incredible illustration to this verse. An amazing illustration to this verse. How many of you remember the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt for how long? Who can tell me how long? 400 years. 400 years. They were, they were God's people that were in bondage in Egypt. And it's, Egypt is a metaphor. I love Egyptians. I love Egyptians, and, and uh, we've got church members that are Egyptians. And so God's saved the whole world. But back in Bible days, Egypt was a metaphor for the world. Now, things have changed now. Egyptians are saved. Egyptians are beautiful people. So there's no discrimination against Egyptians in the Bible, okay? God loves Egyptians. Amen. Can anybody say amen to that? Okay. So for my Egyptian friends, please. I'm not denigrating Egyptians. But in the Bible, Egypt was a metaphor for the world. And Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, was a metaphor for Satan. And so what you have is the children of Israel in the world under the domination of Satan. And so if you look at their lives, they're surviving but they're surviving under bondage. They're surviving under slavery. They're making bricks. They're building pyramids. They're doing all sorts of things for the Egyptians, but they're getting no gain for themselves. They're not building wealth. They're not building anything except stuff for the Egyptians. And so they're slaving away, slaving away, no freedom. Yes, they're surviving. They're eating. They're sleeping. They've got a shelter. They're surviving, but they're not doing life abundantly. And so they're crying out to God, saying, God, we hate this, we hate this. And God sent a deliverer. How many of you know that God sent a deliverer? And the name of the deliverer was what? Moses. And so you, so, so, so you know the story about the ten plagues of Egypt. And finally, with the last plague, Pharaoh was willing to let them go because, you know, God was on his case. You've got to let my people go. He didn't want to let them go. But finally he did. And, and, and it was the Passover night. How many of you remember that? The Passover night where Moses says, hey, listen, this is the tenth plague that's going to hit Egypt. This is the tenth plague where God really, really rams it down the, 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 the neck of the Egyptians that they've got to let the people go. But, and, and, and he gives them this, this story that says that on this particular night, the death angel is coming to Egypt. Pretty scary stuff. The death angel. And the death angel is going to strike the firstborn. And, and, but, but, but I've got a way of escape, God says, for my people. I've got a way of escape. And this is what you need to do. If you do not want the death angel to strike your house, this is what you have to do. Again, this is a metaphor. This is God preparing the story for the New Testament. And so this is God saying to the children of Israel, what I want you to do is get a lamb, a pure lamb, the best lamb that you've got. 
I want to sacrifice the lamb because I want you to have this, this barbecued lamb for dinner. But what I want you to do in preparing the lamb, I want you to save the blood. So when you kill the lamb, you save the blood. Then what you do is that you get the blood and you paint the blood over the lintels, over the doorposts. See, this is where you Asian people, you Chinese people have got a hard start to us. Because of the color red, you know the power of the color red. And so this week, as you celebrate Chinese New Year, you're going to see red everywhere. And you, and you know where this comes from? This comes from the Bible. This comes from somehow God giving your forefathers an insight that's the blood of Jesus Christ that is able to protect you. And you understand that red represents the blood because it was here that blood became protection. Blood became protection from the death angel. And so on that particular night when the death angel was was coming to Egypt, whenever he saw the blood, here it is, he would pass over. He would pass over. Over the house. Where there was no blood, the death angel would enter in and there was death and destruction. He would come to rob, to kill, to destroy. But when he saw the blood, he would pass over. Come on, are you getting this? This is powerful stuff that the world needs to hear and we need to get it into our hearts. And you know what? I never get sick, I never get tired of hearing this story. And for all of you Asians celebrating Lunar New Year, this year, when you see the red, see the blood, begin to see the covenant that God has. And and they've lost, so, so many people have lost the significance of it. And they see red as good luck. But you see red as the blood of Jesus Christ, that it's nothing to do with luck. It's about the protection that Jesus Christ has come to give. Can anybody say amen to that? Hallelujah. Oh, come on. I, this, is, this is just the introduction to the message. I haven't even got into the message, but I'm excited anyway. So, uh, so, so what happens then is this, is that the next day the Egyptians wake up and all their firstborn are dead. But not one firstborn of the children of Israel was dead. Not one person that put the blood. And you know what? Some of the Egyptians did the same thing. Some of the Egyptians were friends with the Israelites. They did the same thing. They painted the blood on their house and they got protection. It was mixed multitudes. There, there, there were people from various nations. And when they got the news, I mean, how would you not get the news? There's nine plagues. You see nine plagues. You see nine disasters going everywhere except for where the children of Israel lived. So how many of you would get the point, I want to do what they're doing. I don't want to do what these people are doing. I want to do what these people are doing. Here's the 10th plague. They're all painting blood on the doorpost. I'd be getting blood, be painting it on my doorpost if I was smart. And so the Bible says that wherever the blood was, there was protection. So the people of Israel got released. And, and, and here's the story. God wanted to do more than save them from Egypt. That wasn't the story. That was the beginning of the story, but not the end of the story. What was the end of the story? The end of the story was God wanted to take them from Egypt to where? 
the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, and the promise that God gave them. I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey, a land with wells that you have not dug, with vineyards that you haven't planted, a land that is an abundant land, a verdant land, a green land, an amazing land. This is what I want to give you, the abundance, the petisos, the exceedingly abundantly above and beyond land. Are you getting this? And so what happened is this. This is, this is my stage. And, and I've got three phases here. We've got Egypt here. And they had to leave Egypt. They had to leave Egypt because they were going to Canaan. But this is what happened. They left Egypt. And they left because of the blood. How many of you know what a metaphor that is? That you get released from Satan, you get released from the world, you get released from sin, you get released from death and destruction through the blood of Jesus Christ. What can release us from sin? But the blood of Jesus Christ. And so so God then said, hey, hang on here, I want to do something else. So so they've left Egypt through the blood, and now they're on their way to Canaan. And what happens? They get to the Red Sea. They get to the Red Sea, and and here's a test. Now, the thing is this, that God wanted them to go through the Red Sea. For what purpose? Because baptism is a very important part of God's plan for us. So we're saved through the blood, but then we have to go through baptism out of obedience. And so here they were. And you know what God did? He actually corralled them to baptism. What an incredible thing. He corralled them. He he actually forced them into a spot where they couldn't go back because the armies of Egypt was there. The only way they could go forward is, is through the Red Sea. They didn't want to do it. How many of you know there's a lot of people that don't want to get baptized? You're like the children of Israel, stubborn of heart is all I can say to you through love, being very gracious, being very fatherly. And so here they were, they were corralled. There was no way forward except through. And you know what God did? He did a miracle. He opened up the Red Sea and they went through the Red Sea. And seriously, the Bible says in the New Testament that it is a metaphor of baptism. So what happens? We get saved first through the blood of Jesus Christ. Then we got baptized next. And then what God does, he takes us to a land of freedom. Now, the land of freedom that they were, they were free now. No longer the Egyptians all got drowned. All the, all the, the, the powers of the enemy got drowned. It's a metaphor for, for death and destruction gets drowned. God gave us deliverance. And then they went into the wilderness, and they weren't meant to live in the wilderness. In the wilderness, God provided for them. God gave them food. God gave them drink. God gave them a cloud by day shelter. They gave, God gave them fire by night warmth. God did so many things for them, provided they were, they were free, but they weren't yet into Canaan. And so what happened is this, the Bible is really clear that, that they weren't designed to live in the wilderness all their lives. They were designed to get to Canaan. But the problem was that there were blockages between them and Canaan. And the Bible is clear that there were five blockages that stopped them from getting to Canaan. And these people actually got scattered in the wilderness. Yes, they had life. They were no longer under 
the bondage of the enemy. They had life. They had Zoe. They had God providing for them. They had God looking after them. They had God protecting them. They were God's people, but they weren't in Canaan. And the Bible says there were five blockages that stopped them getting into Canaan. And then the Apostle Paul says, they're the same blockages that stop us getting into the abundant life. How many of you want to know what those five blockages are? Are you sure three of you want to know? The rest of you just want to go home? Huh? How, how many of you want to know? You do? Okay, we'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That was the introduction, incidentally. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, let's, let's, let's read this, because this, this now makes sense. Now that I've given you the introduction, this makes sense. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses. There it is. There's the New Testament connection between them going through the Red Sea and baptism. All ate the same spiritual food and drink. They drank that spiritual rock that followed them, that rock Christ. See, they were having life. They were eating, they were drinking, they were being provided for, they were having life with God. They were released from bondage, they were released from Satan. And, with mo- and, and, and it says, but with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. God wasn't pleased because he had a better plan for them that they weren't willing to get to. They got half the plan, not the full plan. Now, these things became our examples to the... Here it is. This is our example. What happened to them is an example for us. It's an illustration for us to the intent that we should, here it is, not lust after evil things as they lusted. And that's the first blockage. Let's talk about that in a little while. Then verse 7 says, And do not become idolaters. As a second thing, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality. There's number three, as some of them did. And, uh, and 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ. That's number four, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Uh, nor, nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. There's number five, complaining. Now, all these things happened to them as examples And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Wow. Happened to them as examples, illustrations to us. What do we learn from this? Well, well, let's go through these five blockages. And then what I'll do is that I'll I'll give you five breakthroughs. For each blockage, there's a breakthrough. So so some of you might just want the blockage. But some of you say, well, okay, I know the blockage. What's the breakthrough? I'll give you the breakthrough as well. You interested? I've got 15 minutes. Let's go. Number one. Lust. This, see, what happens with lust is that we, we just interpret this as sexual lust. So as soon as someone says, don't lust, we kind of think, well, that's, you know, Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you've, it's like you've committed adultery. But this is not just sexual sin. This is, this is a deep craving for something that God doesn't want for you and a discontent with what God's given you. So the issue with them and the illustration that Paul gives is that God had given them manna. They were discontent with manna, which is spiritual bread that comes from... They became discontent with what God gave them and they lusted over what God wasn't giving them. And what they were lusting after was the things of the world, what they had in Egypt. They just lost sight that they were in bondage in Egypt and they lusted over the world. They lusted over what they used to have. And they actually despised and became discontent with what God gave them. 
what an insidious way to live life when we become discontent with what God gives us. What an incredible thing it is just to love and be content with what God gives us. Just to have, and, and, that's, and that's the breakthrough. You've got to change your lust into love and contentment. Love and contentment. Where, where you're content. Seriously. You, you've got to live life in contentment rather than discontentment. Too many people live life in discontent. They see what someone else has and they become discontent with what they have. How many of you are parents? Can I just say to you, be careful with your children that you don't actually amplify this problem in their life because you've got to teach them contentment and gratitude with what they have because there's always something on offer out there. There's always something out there that's on offer and it creates lust in our heart and the problem is that we become discontent with what we have. What, what an insidious thing. You know, I, 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 heard, I heard this thing. It says, uh, when my wife hits 50, I'm going to trade her in for two 25-year-olds. And it's like, what is that? That's not even a joke to me. That's, that's, that's putting the woman that's done the journey of life with you all these years because the last says that two 25-year-olds are better. Matt, if you're smart, then you'll work out that the older a woman gets, the better she gets. <laughs> Guys, if you want to win some points, just keep amening, you know, <laughs> right now. <laughs> I love my wife more now than I did 37 years ago. She's done the journey of life with me for 37 years. That's put so many points in her bank. She's... she's, she's She's done so much together with me and we've grown so much closer together over all these years that she's become more beautiful and you've got to be content with what you have. You know, we become so discontent so quickly. You know, are you content or discontent? Do you understand the difference between love and lust? Because love is all about giving to others Lust is all about taking for me. That's the big difference. See, love is about giving. Lust is about taking. And so when someone gets involved in lust, it's all about, I want to get, I want to get, I want to get. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about my pleasure. It's all about my happiness. It's all about my pursuit for happiness. Because that, for some people, is the epitome of life. My pursuit for happiness without understanding Happiness comes when you're content. And if you're discontent, keep pursuing because you'll never get there. It's this pursuit. It's the, it's the perpetual carrot that's being dangled. You know, seriously, it's a wonderful thing to be married. But if you haven't gone there and it hasn't happened to you, can you be content with your singleness? Because let me tell you something, I've found people that are much happier being single because it wasn't God's plan for their lives than people that have been married and they married the wrong person and all of a sudden they've just got hell to pay. And so you've just got to be content in whatever God's got for you. So if God's got manna for you, enjoy the manna. But guess what? After any amount of time, anything that you have becomes mundane. 
Any amount of time. And so manna was great at first. What? Imagine this. Just, just get hold of this, okay? Here's God giving you cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, and you wake up in the morning, in the morning and there's food outside of your door. It's just there. Just go outside, pick it up, take it inside, cook it and eat it. How many of you would think that was a dream come true? Huh? I tell you, for the first couple of weeks it was. It was like, wow, when we were in Egypt, we had to work for food. And he just, God just, just, just delivers it. The, the delivery from heaven. Wow. We don't have to order it. It just, it's there. Just gather it up, eat it. It's awesome. How awesome is that? But you know what? Even that blessing became mundane. They saw it every day. Every day. There it is, except for the Sabbath. Every day. You know, six days a week, it was there. And then on, on, on the Sabbath, God says, you don't have to deliver it. You don't have to just get enough for the Sabbath and you have a day of rest and just eat it. And then they got to a place where they despised that miracle. Don't, you know, folks, this is human nature. We get used to what we have. We get used to what we have. And we begin to despise it. So love says, you know what? It's not just about me. It's about others. And I'm telling you, when you live life sacrificing for others, you live a big life. And that's when true contentment comes. Second one, I, I just, it's too much to say, a little time to say it. Idolatry. Uh, see, this is the second blockage, idolatry. Idolatry is where you remove God from the number one position. So for them, it was they made the golden calf. And, and, but for some of us, sometimes we think, yeah, well, it's an idol, isn't it? Now, anything that removes God from number one position is idolatry. And you know what? In our day and age, there are so many legitimate things that want to take number one place. You know, I, I want to say for a lot of you men that you've got to be careful that your work doesn't become your idol. Under all good intentions, you've got to provide for your family. You've got to provide for your kids. You know, you live on the North Shore. You've got to give them private education. You've got to work hard to be able to do all this sort of stuff. Yeah, that's it. And, and God will provide these things as long as he's number one in your life. And out of stress and out of fear, you don't remove him and put your job or something else as number one because that's, that becomes idolatry. And what's, and, and what's the answer to idolatry? Just focus on God. Just focus on God. And you know what? We need each other to help us focus on God. You, you need me and I need you. You need to be connected in a connect group where people are focused in on God. And every week they, they, they help keep that focus on God. Because it doesn't take long when you separate yourself from fellowship that you lose focus. So what a joy it is every Sunday for you guys to come here. And you've got me helping you focus on God. You've got the worship team helping you focus on God. You've got just, you're surrounded by people that say, hey, you know what? Idolatry is removing God from the number one position, but just by making Sunday the day where you come to church, you're already saying, as far as I'm concerned, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What a wonderful thing it is. And there will be pressure on you to remove God. Let me tell you, one of the greatest habits that you can get involved in is come to church. One of the greatest habits that you can instill in your kids is make sure on Sundays they come to church and what a great habit that is because it's God focus and it deals with that whole idolatry thing God focus number three sexual immorality wow this word that Paul uses under in in, in first Corinthians chapter 10 is the Greek word pornea it's an interesting word pornea because the the definition of pornea is any sex outside 
of sex within marriage between a male and a female. So what the Bible defines as legitimate sex is within the confines of marriage between a male and a female. That's, guys, I'm, this is the Bible. This is what I'm, I'm preaching, the Bible. These are not my ideas. This is the Bible. You come here, I'm not going to give you just my ideas. I'm going to give you biblical truth. If you don't like it, take it out with God. Don't take it out with me. You know, don't argue with me. Argue with God because I'm just telling you what God's saying. So that's pornea is this. So it's any, any sex outside of marriage between a male and a female is pornea. So, you know, the list is as long as the mind of man is, is putrid. And so there, there are stuff that people do I didn't even know about. And so as if the Bible's going to list every single deviance of, of humanity that you can think of. And so here it is, the word pornea. And so it says anything within marriage between a male and female is legit. Anything out of that is pornea, sexual immorality. Okay? Draw a list as long as you like it. And put all the stuff that is still legal in this world. You know, so, so you, know, you know, people say, well, there's only six scriptures in the Bible that say that homosexuality is not legit. And I say, there's all these scriptures that use the word pornea. And that's where that fits. But not only homosexuality, even if there's illicit relationships between someone who will one day be married, but is still not married, that's pornea as well. So it's anything outside of the confines of marriage where, where you commit yourself between God and between witnesses and say, I'm making a vow that from this day forward, I am 100% committed to you until death do us part. And I'm willing to sign anywhere. I'm willing to make it legal between, uh, between God. I'm willing to make it legal within the land. And then the Bible says, he's my wedding gift, the gift of sex. And within those confines, totally legitimate. And anyway, so, so purity is the answer to sexual immorality. Yeah. And we are bombarded. We, we live in a sex-mad world, folks. Our young people are totally exposed to illicit sexuality just on a daily basis. And parents, can I say to you, talk to your kids about it. Seriously, talk to your kids about it. You know, just set them upright. And, uh, you know, don't, don't make it a no-go zone in your home. Be careful how much weight you put on them and how much detail you give them. You know, just make sure that when they're young, they don't get all the detail. As they get older, they can get more and more. But just make sure that there's a journey there and be willing to talk about it because the world is constantly talking to them about it. They're getting, they're getting their sex education from people that are not godly. And so they need to get sex education from people that give a biblical perspective, folks. You know, seriously, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm just saying this is one of the things that stop people getting abundant life. I want you in Canaan. I want you in abundance. These are blockages. Get rid of the blockages and you'll get to Canaan. If the blockage is there, it'll stop you having an abundant life. And you think about the pain that's created in this world through sexual immorality. 
You think about the girls that are raped all over this world because some guy just says, I, I want and I take and I don't care the consequences. You think about these little kids that are having to go through life just totally messed up because someone in authority, someone in their family has said, I want, I take and I don't care about the consequences. You know, what is that? Let's, let's be people of integrity, people of purity that make us stand. What an incredible thing it is for me to look my wife in the eye and say, sweetheart, I have been 100% faithful to you every single day of my life. And you know what? Until my dying breath, I'll be the same. And what an incredible thing it is for me to say to you as a church, I've been faithful to my wife. For you not to sit there wondering, has Pastor John been naughty on the side? Rah, rah, rah. What are the consequences of that? What are the consequences to you? What are the consequences to my wife? What are the consequences to my kids? What are the consequences to God? For what, a couple of minutes of pleasure? What's all that about? A lifetime of pain? Purity is beautiful. Everybody say, purity is beautiful. And the world is wanting to pollute your purity. So make a stand and pursue purity. Amen? Oh, Tempting Christ. I've got two minutes. Tempting Christ. What's tempting Christ? See, tempting Christ is where you don't trust the pathway that God has put you on. And what happened with the children of Israel? They just said, I don't know where we're going. We want to turn back. We want to go back to Egypt. I don't know where God's taking us through this wilderness because he wanted to take you to Canaan, but your blockage has stopped you from getting to Canaan. So you're going around in circles waiting. God's waiting for you to get it right. And, and, and now you're wanting to go back to Egypt? At least here in the wilderness, you've got life. At least here in the wilderness, you've got protection. At least in the wilderness, you've got provision. You might not be in abundance, but you've got life. No, no, we want to go back to Egypt because in Egypt, you know, we had leeks, we had garlic, we had melon. Did you forget the whips? Did you forget the bondage? Oh, what was that? I just remember the leeks, the garlics, and the melons. What is the matter with you? Tempting Christ is wanting to go back, go back into the world. And this is the amazing thing. The enemy always sugarcoats it. It always makes it seem like you had it better. When you know that you were in bondage, you know that you were in oppression. And so even Jesus was tempted on the cross. If you're the Christ, why don't you get down and save yourself? And here it is, the temptation is to turn away from the path that God has chosen for you and go back. Let me tell you, there's only two ways. Here it is, two ways, God's way or the wrong way. If you're not in God's way, you're in the wrong way. And the wrong way will lead to death and destruction. Just two ways, God's way or the wrong way. And so pursue God's way. It will always take you to the best place. Number five, complaining. Complaining. Oh, if there was one word that best described the children of Israel, complainers. They were complainers. They started complaining in Egypt. They, remember the story where, where Pharaoh decided, man, all these plagues and stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to give it to you guys. And so he said, from here on in, we're not giving you straw. You've got to pick yourself. You've got to pick straw for yourself. They started complaining to them. What are you doing stirring up Pharaoh? Well, God was trying to shake them so they could get out of Egypt. No, 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 just settle everything down. Settle everything down. We just don't like it anymore. Settle everything down. 
takes them across. What if you taking us here to the Red Sea? There's the Egyptians. There's the sea. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. The negative word. Don't get caught up in that. Just make sure that the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart are acceptable in his sight. Stop being negative. Stop speaking death and destruction. Be careful what you say to your kids. Never say to your kids, you're just an idiot. Why would you say that to your loved one? You're just an idiot. Why don't you say, you know what? You're an intelligent young person. That behavior is not the behavior I expect from someone who's incredibly intelligent and bright like you are. You know, just I, I, I love the fact that uh, I, w- I was talking to um, a couple just last Sunday. And they were talking about watching their daughter parent their grandchildren. And just simple stuff like that behavior is not the sort of behavior I expect from you. Do you know how that makes your little brother feel when you do that to him? Oh, yeah, it doesn't make him feel too happy, does it? Yeah, that's not the right way to behave. Why don't you just change your behavior? And not using words of death and destruction. Our words are powerful. The Bible says in Proverbs that death and life is in the power of our tongue. Just be careful that you don't become complainers, negative people speaking negative words, but you become people that are just encouragers. You know what my dream is? My dream is that when you come to our church, not just me, But you are surrounded by people that build you up, that say something nice about you, that just lift you up. You can come, Dave. You can come and play. I'm I'm coming in for a landing. You know, see, the fact is that every single person in this building today, you're facing a challenge. There's not one person here that's not facing a challenge. I I don't want to be so wishy-washy that I never address sin in your life. I don't ever want to be so wishy but I want to do it with the spirit of love. And maybe today I've addressed some sin in your life, but I'm doing it as a father, saying, I want you to have the best life. I seriously want you definitely to get out of Egypt, definitely get out of sin. But you know what? Maybe you're living in the wilderness. Maybe you're living in just the good life. I, as a father, want you to have the best life abundant life the over and above life oh i so want you so want you to be smothered in love yeah i dream that for you that wherever you walk you're walking just smothered in love i i want you to be not only smothered in love but surrounded by peace and sustained in joy I just want so much for love, joy, and peace to be in your life. When you're surrounded, smothered, and sustained in love, joy, and peace, you're living the best life. See, abundant life is not found in the abundance of things. It's found in the abundance of love, joy, and peace. Because that's God's gift for you. And the things, they come, the things, they go. And after a while, you you just see rubbish pick up And all those things that were so important one day, a rubbish pickup the next. It's an amazing thing when there's rubbish pickup just to see the things that were once so important that are now just chucked out. But love, joy, and peace. 
oh my goodness, that will sustain you forever. That's the abundance that I'm looking for you. And if you're not living your best life, then let me tell you that there's an enemy out there that's robbing, killing, and destroying stuff in your life. And we we go back right now to the verse that we started with. The enemy has come to rob, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. It's found in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. Today, make a stand. Say no to the enemy. Say yes to Jesus. Come on, you've got to make a stand. How long are you going to be caught between the two thoughts? Today, make a stand and say, Devil, I'm binding you out of my life. I'm rebuking you out of my life. Right now, I make a stand. I'm breaking off my ties with the world, with Satan, with sin, with iniquity. I'm making a stand and I'm pursuing Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm getting out of Egypt and I'm going to Canaan. I'm not going to start and, 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 and go halfway and quit. I'm going all the way with Jesus. Today, I'm saying yes to Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Today's your chance to say yes to Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.